Our scripture reading today is from Amos chapter 7, verses 7 through 15. And uh, it's on the screen, and you might want to follow along in your pew Bibles as well. This is what the Lord showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined with my sword. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. For this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel. Because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd and I took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, Prophesy to my people Israel. 
May God add the blessing to the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Gracious God, may there be no gap between your word and my words and our thoughts. By your grace, send your spirit into this place that that might be so. In Christ's name, amen. Amos, God's plumb line. We're continuing in our series we started last week about everyday prophecy by looking at profiles of various prophets from the Hebrew scriptures. How many of you are prophets today? How many of you are prophets? You all go, oh, it's a trick question. I know if Bryce asked the question, it's a trick question. <laughs> oh, prophets. I don't like prophets. I don't. They can ruin a party. They can ruin a good dinner conversation. They can really mess up a church. Ooh. They can really mess up a church. We as church folk don't like prophets very well either, do we? Messes with our whole status quo, the way we think things should be. In fact, when we think about modern-day prophets, we, we kill them. It's what we do. People like Martin Luther King Jr. and others. We don't like prophets very well. That's why it's hard to say that we're prophets because we know how hard that is and how much wrath they'll be towards us even if indeed we are speaking the truth of God to people that need to hear it. We don't like prophets. So we're looking at Amos and let's talk about who Amos was, what the context was of this particular passage and what the world was like at that time. So Amos prophesied about 750 years B.C. or before Christ was born. And so this was about 250 years or so after King David. You know, he was about 1,000 B.C. and that was kind of the, well, that was the glory years of the united Hebrew kingdom. But that lasted just a really short period of time, like about 100 years. So there was Saul, and then David, and then Solomon, and then the kingdom became divided, north and south. And the northern kingdom became known collectively as Israel. And the southern kingdom became known collectively as Judah. That's where Jerusalem was and is. And so Amos lived in the southern kingdom. He lived just 10 miles or so outside of Jerusalem, and he was a shepherd. He lived in the hills there. In fact, when we were in Israel a couple years ago, there, there's still sheep on those hills to this day just outside of Jerusalem. It's quite amazing. Most of you don't think of yourself as prophets, nor did Amos. In fact, he was quite clear in, in the scriptures, and even in what we read today, he was quite clear that he, 
was an unlikely candidate to be a prophet. He said he didn't have the right family background. He didn't consider himself to be a prophet. He said, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. He was not trained in the laws of God. He was a simple man, a, a farmer, a tree trimmer, a sheep herder. He did know how to work for a living, though, <laughs> which shaped his prophetic voice. He said, I was a shepherd. I took care of sycamore fig trees. The Lord took me from the flock and said, go to the northern kingdom, Israel. And so he lived in the southern kingdom. God called him and he sent him to the northern kingdom, which made him especially unpopular. He was prophesying in a land that wasn't even his own. We read Amaziah, the priest, who was an idolatrous priest, by the way, said, get out of here, Amos. Go back to your land. Do your work there. Earn your bread there. Don't prophesy here because this is the king's sanctuary. This is the king's kingdom. But still, Amos went where God told him to go, as unwanted as he was, and never did he lose touch with his roots. This simple man, this working man, and that connection to the simple life shaped his prophecy. It shaped it. He showed a heart for the poor and the displaced and the disadvantaged and the voiceless like few others ever have since. And in that sense, Amos was perfectly trained to be a prophet, to be that forth-telling kind of prophet. We'll come back to that. So what was Amos famous for, besides his cookies? He was famous for this passage right here. In fact, <laughs> you're going to find this hard to believe that I still remember this, but when I was a student at Michigan State University, one of the required sophomore classes was humanities. Some of you know that. Denny's shaking his head. And that was a required course for everybody. I was an engineer, but you know, we all needed some culture. We had to learn about world literature and all that stuff before we could graduate. And one of the test questions in one of my humanities classes, we had to match great literature around the world with famous phrases and lines from that literature to prove we read it. And one of the answers was a plumb line to match up with Amos. <laughs> That's how famous this particular line and this particular passage is. In fact, my, my professor, Dr. Shainel, I'll remember him so well. He was a Jewish man. I don't know if he was a religious Jewish man or not, but he was a Jewish man, and he had a great love for this scripture. He, he made this whole class read the book of Amos, which is a short book. Admittedly, Amos is a, is a minor prophet, not because what he had to say wasn't important, but rather because his book is short, only nine chapters. But sometimes few words speak a more powerful message, don't they? Anyways, we all had to read this book, and I remember talking in class about, well, what, what a prophet was. And, of course, 
most people thought, well, they see the future, they predict the future. And uh, Dr. Shanel said, well, that's a religious question. I'm not going to tell you what to think about that. <laughs> but here's why this book has become famous in terms of world literature. It was amazing for its day. It's why it's been preserved in the Bible and elsewhere. He says it was because of his foretelling. It was because that Amos wasn't afraid to speak the truth to people in power. He wasn't afraid to speak the hard truth, even though it might have cost him. And Amos, his most famous lines were in this particular passage right here. He was a forth-telling prophet. And you know, when you think about it, prophecy that way, we all are called to be prophets, every one of us. We maybe can't see the future, we maybe can't predict the future, but we know what's right and wrong, don't we? <laughs> we know what's just and unjust, don't we? But we don't often speak the truth, do we? Great prophets, they remember for causing us to think deeply about who we are. Who we are, in this case, as a nation of Israel, which for them was like their church. Who we are and how we measure up. Are we truly loving God and neighbor? Are we really doing that? Pastor Kim last week talked about Ezekiel, a major prophet. Again, just because Ezekiel is a much longer book. And Hope United Methodist Church has as their tagline on a lot of their communication, love God, love neighbor, the end. <laughs> and of course, she or that church didn't make that up. Jesus said the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus didn't make that up either. <laughs> he was quoting a prophet a Hebrew prophet, Moses, from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. In fact, at the end of Deuteronomy, it talks about Moses' death, and it says Moses was the greatest prophet of all time, and still is, except for Jesus Christ in the flesh. It's a prophet. It's a prophet. So we're all called to be prophets. If we think about prophecy that way, being foretelling, speaking the truth, we are all called to be prophets if we have the courage to do so. We can all be prophets. We'll come back to that. Now back to the scripture passage. So God called Amos from the hills of Judah, the southern kingdom, to go north to preach against the northern kingdom, the moral decay, the decline, the social injustices that was going on there. And this was under the reign of King Jeroboam II. And it was again under the divided kingdom. And Israel, or the northern kingdom, had reached the pinnacle of its power and success under this period of time under Jeroboam. They, they had prosperity like you can't believe. They had no real military enemies at this time. Assyria had already wiped out Damascus, which was one of their big military enemies. They had it easy. 
They were making money. Nobody was beating up on them. Israel's cities were filled with splendor, gold, riches. It was good economic times. And from the outside looking in, you'd say they're the picture of success. For those folks who like to preach a prosperity gospel, well, (laughs) they had it. God was blessing them. Could look at it that way. But on the inside, on the inside, they were decaying. They were dying. They were worshiping idols. They didn't care about worshiping God. And isn't that often the way it is for all of us as individuals? Whenever we, whenever we kind of get on easy street, <laughs> when we get on easy street and we don't have to work so hard and struggle so hard, doesn't that seem like that's when we're most vulnerable to excesses or call it sin? When we're not struggling anymore? true for us. And so despite all these incredible economic benefits the northern kingdom was experiencing, they had no justice. And Amos talks about this in detail in the earlier chapters. I encourage you to read the whole book. It's a short read. But he talks about how the rich are getting richer at the expense of the poor, while the poor are being afflicted, the weak are being exploited and sold into slavery even. The leaders and the officials are corrupt. Sound familiar? (laughs) Sound familiar? We've had some pretty good economic times recently, haven't we? (laughs) At least as measured by the stock market, right? I mean, the stock market's had quite a run since about 2008 or so, right? My gosh! People have made a lot of money. Rich people have made a lot, a lot of money. (laughs) We've had some pretty good economic times. In fact, I read just yesterday in the news that the concentration of wealth in America in just a few folks, 0.001% or whatever, is greater than it's ever been in U.S. history. (laughs) Wow. That's a whole lot like what was going on when Amos was talking. The rich are getting richer. And the gap between rich and poor seems to be greater than it's ever been. So maybe knowing that will help us relate a little bit to this 2,700-year-old prophecy. So the Lord gave him a vision. And this time, Amos saw the Lord standing on a wall with a plumb line. Selena showed you a plumb line, so I'm not going to bring mine out. (laughs) But a plumb line's a simple tool, isn't it? It's a simple tool. It can tell us whether something is perfectly upright. Perfectly upright. Or plumb. It's just a string with a weight on it, basically. It's simple. Nowadays, we have way more sophisticated things for construction, don't we? We have GPSs and laser levelers and all these kinds of things, and they work really good when they work. But you know what? 
plumb line has never failed. <laughs> Ever since gravity was created, <laughs> a plumb line has never failed. It's a simple tool. But this particular vision had a particular contextual understanding for Amos and for the people of that day that we probably don't quite get today. And that is because at that time, the way they constructed things wasn't like we do it today with two-by-fours and plywood and that kind of thing. They constructed things with stone, big stones, big stone walls, and they stacked them up. And if they weren't perfectly plumb as they were constructing those walls, eventually they became dangerous. They would crash over, kill people. And once you got up so high and you realized it was out of plumb, there was nothing you could do with it except tear it down and start over. You couldn't take an unplumb wall and make it plumb again. You couldn't do it. All you could do was tear it down and start over. And that's the vision, the metaphor that we don't quite get. You see, the visual metaphor that Amos was given and the people there understood was that God was saying his people had become crooked. They were so out of plumb. The only thing that could be done at this point was to destroy them and start over. It's the only thing that could be done. It's a tough message. Israel was rampant with spiritual unfaithfulness, social injustices, economic inequality, and God had had enough. God had had enough. And the way the scripture seems to read is that God himself is the one administering this justice. He's, well, it's like he's raising his own sword against King Jeroboam. It's like God is personally destroying those shrines, those pagan temples. And this time, in this prophecy, God won't change his mind. God won't relent. You know, in so many prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures that you know, you're bad, repent, or else. It's too late at this point. When Amos is delivering this tough message, you're too far gone. You're too far out of plumb. You've got to be destroyed and start over. You can't fix this wall. Tough message. Tough message. What if God used a plumb line to measure us today, to measure our country, to measure our church, to measure we as individuals. What if God used a plumb line today? Would he find us plumb or would he find us crooked? What would God think about our social and political and other things, economic policies and practices? Are we really caring and sharing as two of our three guiding principles say? Are we really caring and sharing? How about our spiritual and our ethical practices? Is it pretty obvious that we love God and love neighbor? Well, I suspect that in many ways, in many, many ways, we would measure up 
just the same as did Israel in about 750 BC in so many ways. We know how to love. We know how to love God and neighbor. We know truth. We know justice. We know how to be caring and sharing. So why is it so hard for us to be prophetic to say those things? It's hard for us to be daring and say those things, isn't it? Because, well, again, the, the prophet is not exactly the life of the party. It's hard for us to say those things. It's hard for us to speak with those foretelling voices. Why is that? Because most of us don't measure up. And we know it. We don't measure up when we look at our own lives. It's hard for us to be the prophetic voice that God would call us to be if our own life is not measuring up. It's a hard message, isn't it? Hard message. It's hard for us to be daring. So many things in our lives are out of plumb. What's out of plumb in your life this morning? Do you need to peel off a couple layers of that stone wall and get it back in plumb, or do you just need to crash it down and go all the way down to the foundation, the solid rock of Jesus Christ? We have to get our own lives in plumb before we can be the prophetic voice. You may not consider yourself to be a prophet. Neither did Amos. You don't need formal training, family lines. Amos didn't have any of that either. But God still called Amos because his life, as simple as it was, measured up. <laughs> his life measured up. And that's why he could speak with that prophetic voice. Because people knew that he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> that's so hard for us today, isn't it? I, uh, I love the story of, of Mother Teresa when she was receiving an award. It was a Nobel Prize of some sort from... President Clinton, I believe. And uh, as she's receiving the award, she has the audacity <laughs> to be prophetic and speak to the president at the time about all the babies that are being killed in this country. <laughs> Who else could do that but Mother Teresa? Someone who dedicated her life to taking care of all the orphan babies in India, practically. Who else could be that prophetic? Not most of us. Not me. I'll admit it. You can't really be prophetic unless your life measures up with that plumb bob. Jesus calls us all to be a prophet. I'm convinced of that. The world needs prophets the world needs people to speak truth and justice and righteousness. But first, to answer that call, your life has to measure up. Or else no one will listen. <laughs> no one will listen. You may think you're an unlikely candidate to be called to be God's prophet. 
and you probably are, just like I am. <laughs> Still you're called. Still you're called to look at that plumb line and to speak the truth about justice in this world. Let us pray. Holy God, these prophetic messages are tough. We know we don't measure up. Help us to set our walls plumb on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. In all these things, we give thanks for his grace. Amen. And now we are going to be blessed with some special music from Mercy Olson. There's a little note about Mercy in your program, but she is a recent master's graduate in music, piano, and uh, she's going to be playing with the Toledo, Toledo Opera this summer. And she, she called us last year. She, she has relatives in this area, and she was visiting, and she says, can I come in every day and practice at your piano? I don't want to lose it, you know? <laughs> and... Uh, I said, sure. And so she called again this year, and I said, sure, you can come in and practice on our piano as long as you come to church and play something for us. So, <laughs> mercy also. <laughs>